Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall from MarketScale, and we are so glad you found us today. Our guest today is Megan Robinson, the National Director of Content and Implementation at Curriculum Associates. That's quite a mouthful. Uh, Megan, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we can't wait to learn about all of the things you do as the National Director of Content and Implementation at Curriculum Associates. But before we do that, if you could just introduce uh, yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit more about Curriculum Associates. Sure thing. So, wow, what do I do at Curriculum Associates? So as a national director, I get to go out and talk to a lot of folks. I get to meet face-to-face with educators and administrators, both at the site level and the district level, just to talk about what's going on in their schools, what their needs are, and to see how Curriculum Associates can support them. Um, whether that's with a, a math curriculum that's guaranteed, that has uh, great outcomes for students, or if that's an assessment system to gain better understanding of student needs and with actionable steps for teachers, uh, just get to go out and have those conversations. But the most exciting part of it all is that then we get to use that information and combine it with research. And I spend a lot of time researching and reading articles and um, other studies to understand you know, what, what's, what's happening and then creating presentations, creating learning opportunities uh, for our educators to talk about equity in education, to talk about student-led learning, to talk about data-driven instruction in ways that really are practical, practical and actionable rather than that big high level conversation just to really get into the specifics of what they can do tomorrow to start to turn things around. And then uh, Curriculum Associates uh, has been around for uh, just over 50 years, um, an organization that's that was developed by uh, educators who really wanted to meet the needs of their fellow educators and of course students. So today what that looks like is we have about just over 1500 folks uh, that are part of the Curriculum Associates team. Uh, most of us are in the service uh, side of things where we're working hand in hand with educators to maximize their implementation, answer their questions and get help them get the most out of the resources that are available. Uh, and that's really what drives what we do at Curriculum Associates is the service. Of course, we wanna make sure that our products, iReady, Ready Classroom Mathematics, Magnetic Reading are top notch, but we also want to ensure that folks have the professional development and learning just around each of those different areas and subjects and topics so that they can continue to grow as professionals. I love it. And I want to start off with a question about where were you when you realized that this pandemic was not going to be over at the end of spring break? And what was the initial days at Curriculum Associates like as far as what direction you were going to need to take to 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 stay ahead of the curve? Yeah, that's definitely a moment that I will always remember. I think we all remember where we were. Um, I was just getting ready to celebrate my birthday and found out that uh, we were going to be uh, locked down here in Los Angeles, where I live. And uh, and then kind of the, the roller coaster ride started for all of us. 
Um, at CA, what happened right away is that we had teams that started developing free resources for educators because we saw, we knew that there was going to be some additional hurdles for educators to climb over in order to fully transition from in-person learning to remote learning. So we wanted to really help them make that transition as smooth as possible. So within just about two weeks, we established uh, hundreds of resources that are still available for free on the Curriculum Associates website in multiple languages for both reading and mathematics. And I have um, colleagues and friends from across the country who are partners with Curriculum Associates and others who are not, but they access those resources to keep their students or their own children learning while that transition was happening from in-person to remote learning. Um, and at the same time, too, you know, we we saw that, you know, we, we, we have this great tool. We have this great tool in iReady uh, that provides personalized instruction for each student. So again, to fill that space in between um, in, in that transition, we then offered to uh, millions of students uh, that free online instruction so that as teachers were gearing up to go full remote, students could still keep moving forward and have some high quality instruction to uh, to get them uh, going on their journey. That's great. And before we get into the topic that we're going to kind of dive into more today, what do you envision for 2021? Um, are things going to get better, be different? What is the new normal going to look like um, maybe six to 12 months from now? I do hope it will be a new normal. I think what we've what we some changes that we've seen will be long lasting, for example, that there's such an increase in the number of students who now have access to a device at home. Um, not all students had one to one device access in school before the pandemic, but now we see that schools and districts were really able to prioritize the need to get devices in students hands. So I think that's going to have long lasting implications in learning. Uh, now I think we're going to see more uh, tech enhanced learning. I think we're going to see more um, adaptive instruction. I think we're going to see more usage of learning management systems like Google Classroom and Canvas and so on to to keep students learning. And I think that's that's going to be a really good thing because we always talk about in education how we're preparing students for the future. The future is now. It's now, right? Like we 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 got an idea uh, during these during school closures and openings and closings and openings and so on, whether or not students were prepared for the so-called future, which is what our current our current life. So I, I think um, we're going to see technology increase in the use of technology being used in practical ways in schools, um, and I'm also uh, hopeful to see how um, other inequities are going to be addressed. Um, when it comes to our students of color, uh, when it comes to low socioeconomic students, you know, those, the differences in, in opportunities have been exacerbated. So I'm really excited to see how creative folks are going to be in prioritizing those student groups. Absolutely. And I like to say we accelerated three to five years of technology in about three to five months. Um, and, and now we're nine months in and, and who knows how many years we've advanced and will continue into 2021. Um, but as I talk about a lot on, on this podcast, uh, it's not about the fall, even if we have the vaccine and the rollout goes well, getting back to where we were in 2019. Because for many student populations, prior years were not 
that great. Uh, I think the topic of this year is equity, digital equity, social equity. And that's really kind of where I want to dive in. And because you're out there on the front lines talking with teachers and schools and administrators, share your experience um, as far as what you've seen in 2020 from that perspective. So equity definitely is a big word in many conversations with with educators across the country. Um, but it's we're all at different places when, when we're talking about equity, right? There's some that are towards the beginning end of the stages of wrapping their mind around what does that actually mean? And then there are others that are moving into shifting pedagogies and school practices that actually reflect equitable practices. Um, so there definitely is a range of where folks are in their journey to understanding what equity is in education, but then also to implementing uh, actual practices and procedures that reflect um, what their equ- what their equity goals are. And so uh, to dive a little deeper as it relates to providing an, an equitable learning experience for students, particularly students of color, um, what do schools and district leaders need to do? So when it comes to providing equitable access for our students of color, uh, first and foremost is access to grade level content, which which seems might seem like such a simple suggestion or such a simple idea. But when you uh, spend time having conversations and observing and reading research, what you find is that it's actually not uh, that common of a practice, um, which for me was actually surprising um, because I think I was really lucky in uh, the environments that I found myself in as a teacher. It never once crossed my mind, nor was it influenced by my colleagues to not give students that are in your classroom actual grade level materials. You know, part of that might have been uh, naivete <laughs> to not to not even know what else to do. Right. I knew I had students in my classroom uh, that weren't um, quite ready for grade level content. Uh, but really what what research has shown is that scaffolds and supporting access to grade level content is done through scaffolds. But then when I share that with educators, the next question is, and this was my question too, what do you actually mean? What are scaffolds, right? Like what, aren't I already scaffolding? And so really what that pointed out is that educators need more support, more professional development, more guidance in their instructional materials on specific scaffolds. Scaffolds aren't generic. Scaffolds aren't just, oh, just right, go in with the best intentions. That's not a scaffold. Scaffolds are very specific based off of what the content is. If you're talking about fractions, they're very specific scaffolds to get students to to be able to work on grade level with fractions. If we're talking about reading comprehension in fifth grade, there are different scaffolds that you use to get them into that fifth grade reading content. So the um, the number one access point or the number one place to start, and we're talking about equity for students of color, is to never assume students are not capable of grade level content, regardless of what their data says, regardless of what the data says in front of you, they are capable and they are deserving of grade level content and then learn scaffolds that will help you launch students into that grade level content. And then also to focus on fair and consistent discipline. Yes, oh, that's another piece. You know, that that's something that we've, we talk about but oftentimes in education, it's not where, where many of the conversations start when it comes to when we, when we think about discipline. Um, and research has shown there's a great 2019 Stanford study. Uh, there's a 
2016 Yale study that blew my mind. That 2016 Yale study um, was a study of uh, preschool educators and preschool children. And uh, just to summarize it in a few words, um, educators were watching videos of four children, two boys, two girls, uh, black boy, black girl, white boy, white girl, um, interacting with one another in the same way that we see three and four year olds interact with one another in a preschool setting. And uh, they were told to watch for undesirable behavior or inappropriate behavior. And uh, really what the researchers were looking for was the, to see who the educators were watching. Because at the end of the day, we know all three and four year olds <laughs> are gonna be naughty from time to time, right? They're not gonna share. They're gonna have difficulty with you know, problem solving and resolution and so on. That, that totally makes sense. But if we're overwhelmingly watching certain students, then who's going to be receiving a higher rate of discipline action, right? And what that study showed is overwhelmingly black boys are being watched, followed by black girls and right on down. So when you combine that with some recent uh, information out around uh, this data, the school data being shared with police departments and future criminal lists or things of that nature being established, it further demonstrates how not only in the school setting, when students are over-disciplined, how that makes them feel unwelcome and unwanted and not a part of the community. Also, it removes them from the learning setting. So how can you learn when you're always being removed from the learning setting? But then to pile on top of that, um, the potential use of the school data and school discipline actions that are disproportionately affecting students of color also being used by, uh, by law enforcement you know, there, there are even more lasting effects that are dangerous to black and brown bodies. Well, and just helping everyone understand the impact of small series of events over time and how they can just really compound and snowball. And, and I love that this starts at, you know, birth at one, two, three, four, you know, to, to have this, you know, fair uh, you know, attention and, uh, and discipline is just critical at these early stages. You know, I, and I saw that in my own, you know, in my own personal experiences. Um, I am one of three uh, uh, children in my family. Um, and, you know, we, we all did not have the same experiences. Um, my sister and I had very different experiences from our brother. We were raised in the same household with the same values, with the same rules, with the same curfew, right? Uh, but the way that we were received and perceived in the same school uh, was very, very different and drastically impacted our view of ourself, um, drastically impacted our, the value that we personally placed on education um, and continues to impact our relationship with education today. So, you know, to, oftentimes when we have these conversations, it, it turns to, oh, well, you know, some families don't value education and some families, you know, don't do what they don't read to their children and so on. And, you know, that wasn't that wasn't the case in my household. And and to be able to have that experience, unfortunately, to have that experience, it fortunately has helped me as an educator um, to be much more empathetic um, and to be much more like just much more aware of student backgrounds and how that can impact uh, their experience in school and not to use that 
as another barrier or not to let that become another barrier for them. Absolutely. And I love that this is uh, really a place to start uh, before even curriculum starts to happen. Also on our podcast, we have a lot of guests talking about mental health and mental health awareness and mental wellness. And in 2020, that has come to the forefront as well as it's affecting all of us, not just our students, but our teachers. Um, and so uh, hopefully my audience really takes this to heart that, you know, we have to do these basic things better. and We have to do them right. Um before any curriculum is going to help uh, any student. So thank you for uh, taking me down that uh, path for a few minutes because I think it's so important for our audience to hear. Absolutely. Also, this is, uh, you know, equity is a hot topic um, in 2020. How do we keep sustain that, uh, you know, in tw- to 2021 and not fall back into kind of the way things were before? Right. Well, I think, you know, part of it is, you know, sometimes we'll we'll come on to these topics and we talk about them or have a professional development training right. right once and then there. But you know, someone I recently heard someone say this phrase and I think it it really goes to show how you can keep this how how you can hold we can hold ourselves accountable. Show me your budget and I'll show you your priorities. So if you if 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 organizations are prioritizing equity then they are substantially funding efforts to reach those equity goals. Uh, whether that's, that's regular trainings, um, whether that is uh, having consulting groups come in, uh, whether that is having um, anti-racism and anti-bias trainings and so on. There's, there's more to it than putting it down on a rubric or putting it on a website as a goal. Right. There has to be a longevity and commitment. So it really we really um, I think a good place to start is the budget and look at the budget and see if if how much if this is a big commitment, does your do the dollars match your words? I love that. And I've heard that in um, personal finances before, you know, (laughs) where your uh, money is, your heart is also. And so if you say you're a philanthropist, but you don't donate any money, uh, that's, you know, not uh, uh, fully accurate. And so I love that that exact same principle can be applied to uh, a school budget. Absolutely. Sure can. And it's a it's it's a it's a concrete way to hold ourselves accountable. You know, um, ideas can float around in the ether. But when we really commit to something as a goal, um, it should be clearly shown in every aspect of an organization from the from the finances to the practices to the higher and the, the daily practices, but also hiring practices, retention practices all matter when it comes to equity. Absolutely. Um, I'll shift gears a little bit here uh, and talk about digital equity and how we've closed that gap more than we uh, have in the last decade. I feel like this past year, uh, even though many uh, back in 2012 had called for a device in every hand of every student mm-hmm. in 2020, and in January we were not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, we're much closer now, but there's so much more work to be done in into 2021. Um, but talk a little bit about how that if that gap is closing, uh, if it's not closing, and how can we be even more intentional as far as digital equity? It's been great to see not only how schools reacted to getting devices into students' hands, but then also how other organizations like uh, internet providers stepped in to make sure that students had you know high quality internet at home as well. And, and I think that just speaks to the 
the need for community to really support students and to understand the connection between the success of K-12 education and how that impacts their organization. So I think that was hopefully the start of, of private organizations supporting and participating in education in ways that educators are saying, this is what we need, right? Rather than just deciding for themselves, this is what you need. When schools are saying, we need devices, then here, we're gonna get you devices. We need internet access, we're gonna get internet access to your students. Uh, what we saw at Curriculum Associates is when we break down our, the data by, uh, by income, we saw that there was a lull in the, in the access that uh, low, lower income students, students and families um, and grossing less than $50,000 a year um, had in accessing devices at the start of school closures, which makes sense, right? We understand schools were caught off guard, needed to get those devices and get them into students' hands. Some lar larger districts, it took longer than others to get those devices there. But once students had the devices, they were using them. So while it took some student groups a little bit longer to get those devices, what we've seen is that once they had those devices, they're actually using them. So that speaks to the access part, right? Part of equity is making sure that students have access. Some students already had devices at home, so they just were able to continue going on. But those students who didn't, making sure that they have those resources. I think what we're seeing now on the other side of it too is the need that families have around understanding how to support their students in their use of devices at home, right? Um, we saw an increase in the number of families that are calling in to our customer service asking for support in, in helping their student access their lessons and, and continue their learning. So I think really adding in or can, starting to consider even more the importance of how we're supporting and educating family members with videos, with uh, tutorials in multiple languages, right? That's really important for everyone to remember. We've got an equitable access means that folks can, uh, can understand and, and uh, digest the information in the language that's most, uh, that, that, that they speak. So we've got to think about how we're getting this information to family members in ways that actually are going to help them. And what we've done at CA is we've created videos, we've created literature, but we've also hosted a, a number of parent nights and parent events where family members can come and we are presenting to them and explaining to them in, in parent-friendly language what the assessment is or what the tool is that their student is using and how what their role is. And one of the things that we've had to stress is that when students are taking assessments at home, we want them to do it on their own kind of like an eye exam, you know, you go to the eye doctor and <laughs> the doctor, you, the doctor needs to know what you can see, right? Not what your whole family can or can't see because they got to get you the right prescription. Same thing. A lot of these diagnostic assessments are really just being used to then help educators know where to focus their energy and their efforts. So it's important that students are doing those types of things independently. So getting that information out to families, I think is the next step in, uh, equity when it comes to educate to technology. I love it. And we, we've talked about that on past episodes to all the parents listening, let your kids do the own di their own diagnostics <laughs> because it's in the best interest of your student that the educators know where they stand and they can meet them at the appropriate level and help them. Um, it's not for show to, to get an A. It's really important. Um, and to your earlier point about 
the ed tech community coming together, telecom companies coming together, um, all the heroic stories of uh, principals driving around buses with mobile uh, access, uh, Wi-Fi devices. Um, I think my silver lining is we've seen what can be done when it's made a priority, and we can't unsee that. And so we know now that we can get access to every student. Uh, even policies are starting to change by necessity, and we need to continue that good work. And we know policies don't have to take years to change anymore. We know they can be changed uh, more immediately whenever we decide to work together and make it a priority. Um, and then on the parents, um, this has been a rough year for parents too, especially personally with uh, work and job loss, but also becoming teachers uh, in many cases, or at least facilitators of education, um, I think has given parents a new appreciation for teachers and for the schools, um, but also more of a stake in the game, more commitment that I hope goes into 2021 that uh, they've seen what works and doesn't work and are going to be more involved um, moving forward and more informed um, on their students' education. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I know you guys also do a lot with personalized learning and even uh, more than that, adaptive learning. Talk about how that also can help um, any students, but especially those students that are, um, you know, trying to catch up in a lot of ways, which actually is every student post-COVID with the COVID loss. Um, and how critical is it for personalized learning and adaptive learning? Sure thing. So, I mean, when we talk about equity in education, right, that means every student should get what they need, right? And so if you already, if a student's already uh, performing on grade level or above grade level, then you have then, then that means that they're ready for enrichment. They're ready for challenge. So that should be ready and waiting for them, right? And then the students who need that additional support and accessing grade level content, uh, maybe because of, uh, they, of experiencing inequities in their schooling in years prior, then we have to find a way to accelerate their access to grade level content. And Really, I think, you know, my 10 years of teaching, you know, you've, you get a classroom full of students and they're, they've got all, everyone's got different strengths, everyone's got different skills, everyone has different areas of need. So to be able to have an adapt, adaptive learning helps teachers fill in what students need, but saves them time because there's no way, there's no way that a teacher can cover all of their grade level content and every prerequisite skill that every student needs. You gotta get, you have to have a very strategic plan to cover what's needed and then, and so that they can go into their grade level content. And what that adaptive learning does is it, it, it through the assessment, we're able to identify what students need in relative to grade level expectations. So we're not, at iReady, we're not just comparing students against one another. Uh, we have a criterion reference assessment that's actually beholden to the standards. So identifying where students' skills lie across the kindergarten through 12th grade spectrum, and then giving every student exactly what they need. The beauty of the adaptive lessons is that as students are moving through the lessons, if they need additional support, they get the additional support. So then they have that instruction built in. But their peer in the same classroom, but sitting across town, is moving through maybe that same lesson, but already understands that content, they're able to move through that lesson at a much faster pace. So the beauty of that adaptive learning and the adaptive instruction is not only that each student gets the lessons and the content that they need, but they also are able to move through that lesson at the speed with the level of support 
that's most appropriate for them. I love that because so many times students are being held back by everyone else because they have that content mastered and are ready to move on. And that's really frustrating. Just imagine if you or I were at work and had that roadblock, um, how demotivating that can be. So uh, I really like that. And I think hopefully we're past this point, but you're out there talking with teachers all the time. Are we past the point of teachers being afraid of adaptive learning and personalized learning that it's going to replace teaching? Because really, I, I see it as one of the great enhancers to a teacher's tool belt. You know, it's, I think we are past that. I think we're definitely getting past that. I, but I also think that it's, it's in how you use it, right? If, if I were to assign lessons to my students in lieu of delivering grade level instruction, maybe I'm actually replacing myself, right? Whereas what we talk about at Curriculum Associates is that our assessments are intended to, our resources rather, are intended to support teachers, not replace teachers. So the intention is, is that teacher-led instruction, teacher-first, best instruction, that's still the primary delivery mode. And then the adaptive instruction is used to support when and where needed. So if you, if you focus on it through from that angle, then you can see how it can support educators. Uh, but if we look at it as the primary means of how students are going to receive their instruction, then we can see those fears start to start to boil up again. So I think it's really important to clearly communicate to educators the usage for and the purpose of the adaptive learning, which at Curriculum Associates is to support teachers, not to replace them. I love it. And the best example is time spent grading papers could have been time spent with individual instruction, small group instruction, or whole group instruction. And that's the gold standard for what the students need the most of from the teachers, and they have a finite resource of their time. So uh, anything that will help facilitate, give teachers more time back in their day to do the good work of teaching face-to-face uh, -face with the students, hopefully in 2021, or online face-to-face -face, uh, here in 2020, um, I'm all for it. You know, I, I think too, though, with that, JW, is the 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 importance of the quality of the instruction too is something that we can't lose sight of. Um, you know, if we're, we understand what adaptive instruction is intended to do, it's there to support, okay, primary focus is teacher-led instruction. The quality of it is important. And what uh, some research has shown, TNTP actually uh, released some uh, research on this in 2018 about high quality instruction or strong instruction versus weak instruction. And even many times if students are actually working in grade level access, too often they're receiving weak instruction, which is just as detrimental as not getting grade level content. So weak instruction is defined as uh, mostly teacher-centered, teacher-directed. Uh, students are mimicking or mirroring the teacher's actions rather than creating, analyzing, critiquing, or connecting ideas. And so we if want to make sure it's not just teacher-led instruction, but that it's high-quality teacher-facilitated instruction, which is what really yields those great outcomes and opportunities for our students. Absolutely. And another wrong question is, what's better, online learning or in-person learning? And it's just the <laughs> wrong question, right? There's good and bad online learning, just like there's good and bad on-site learning. And so 
really it's finding the best practices for both, the best practices for the hybrid approach, and leveraging all the tools to their fullest ability. So I think that was a perfect lead-in to we need to have you back on the podcast because there's so much more that we have to talk about. Um, And so in 2021, mark your calendars. uh, We're going to have Megan back on um, to give an updated State of the Union of Education, but also to dive a little more into some instructional design, perhaps, and some best practices for implementation. Would you be uh, uh, open to that? It would absolutely be my pleasure. I love it. Well, Megan, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, We've covered a lot of great ground here. Um, To my audience, thank you for listening. Give us feedback, post on social media, email me, uh, let us know what you think, what topics you want to see in the future, um, and check out some past episodes on the uh, blog link associated with this podcast. Thank you so much again for joining us and always keep learning. Thank you.